And welcome to Orchard Online Sunday, October the 18th. As you can see, Daniel is not here today, but don't worry, his dad's got this. I wanted to share with you today something that I hope will be very helpful during um, COVID time or any time. I'm going to start by telling you about a conversation I had with a couple not too long ago. In fact, it's a pretty common thing. Talking with this couple, they were having problems in their relationship. And as they did, uh, I asked the man especially, I said, now what are you going to do to be able to make this work better? Because this relationship was not working at all. And he said, well, I'm going to try to do better. I observed from their earlier comments and what she had said, what he had said, that they had tried, but his anger had led to, uh, well, disagreements and fights. Um, How are you going to change that, I asked him. I'm just going to do better. And I said, hey, have you exhausted all the possibilities, all the resources that you got to be able to be the kind of man who can be a good husband? What have you left off the table? He said, well, nothing. I've tried everything. I said, well, how are you going to do better if you've tried everything you've got? Now, before he had adamantly told me that he wasn't a Christian at all and didn't plan on becoming one. So I pointed out that he had already done everything in his power to be a good husband and to have a good marriage, and it wasn't working. You've been trying everything and keep messing it up. Here's the deal. I said, you've got a limited amount of resources within yourself. You have limited patience, a limited pleasantness, a limited ability to be able to talk and interact. And once you go to the end of that patience of your own, what happens? You automatically flip into irritability, impatience, anger, yelling, screaming, and you know where it goes from there. So I ask him, what if you had an extended reservoir of patience and love for your wife that you could tap into when you came to the end of your own. And it's right there. And you're able to be able to exercise patience beyond what you're humanly able to do. Well, you probably know where I'm going with this. I wanted to obviously lead him to faith in Jesus Christ and the great benefits that he would have by becoming a believer, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Well, the problem is, is that even most Christians I talk with aren't aware of the incredible benefits that they have by the Holy Spirit to be able to implant and express in their daily lives. I'm not talking about religious stuff. I'm talking about a Christian. You know what a Christian is, how you become a Christian. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the grave, and in your faith in Christ Jesus, you're born again, and uh, your sins are forgiven, and you're going to heaven when you die. So basically, those are the things that we expect and appreciate about being a Christian. Um, I'm uh, believing, I'm born again, uh, my sins are forgiven, going to heaven when I die. Well, what are you going to do about that time between believing and heaven here on earth? Most people say, well, I'm going to try not to sin too much. I'm going to amp it up and try to do better in following Jesus. So it's the old believe and behave, go to heaven kind of program. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. It's not just that. There are things 
that you have now available, accessible to you, supernatural resources for your life between the hour I first believed and when you go to heaven. I want to dig into those today. I want to go behind the scenes of the Christian life and let's look into the engine room. Now, the first clue, when Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, his inaugural address, he described a lifestyle and way of living that we know now, and they knew intuitively, was impossible to pull off, humanly speaking. Turn the other cheek, uh, love your enemy, uh, don't be angry with people. Those things are humanly impossible. Now, what Jesus was doing, he was setting them up, creating a tension, setting the bar so high that they would be ready when the Holy Spirit came to bring them supernatural empower, enabling them to live a life described in the Sermon on the Mount. When he was with his disciples the last night before he was crucified, he said this, and this is in uh, John uh, 14, 25, if you want to look that up. All this I've spoken to you while still with you, but the advocate, now the Greek word there is paraclete, one who comes alongside, the advocate, and he identifies the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Not what the Father will send. The Holy Spirit is a person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you all things, remind you of all I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you Peace like the world gives, which is all circumstantial. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid, he said. And then in John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the Holy Spirit will let you know Jesus more and more intimately. And then in John 16, 7, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Now, they did not believe that that night. They could hardly believe life without him on earth. But he said, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus promises to send, not a force, not a thing, but a person. The Holy Spirit who will live in us and be closer to us than even Jesus was to his disciples physically. And he will provide for us. Listen, this is incredible. He'll provide for us what Jesus had, what he provided for Jesus when he walked the earth. Now, when Jesus walked the earth as the son of God, he did not do miracles by his own godly power. He was dependent on the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that he said he would send to us. Now, too often we think that the Christian life hinges just on believing the right thing, doing the right thing. When we don't really get into the relationship with the Holy Spirit that we have, who provides us with what we need to live on earth like he provided for Jesus. Now, Paul goes on in Ephesians 1.13 and begins to describe and put this into place. Here's what he says. And you writing to the uh, readers there in Ephesus and to us, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, Jesus died and rose again, of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised 
Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is given to every believer who is born again, who first puts their faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one, fully God, who lives within us and gives life to our spirit and conveys to us our inheritance. Now you know what an inheritance is. If you have a rich uncle who dies um, and has a will and you're in the will, um, you are very interested in getting all of your inheritance. Hopefully, maybe a lot of money. Jesus died and left an inheritance for you. But then he rose again. And so he's able to convey that inheritance that he intends for us to have by the Holy Spirit. All right. Are you receiving your inheritance? See, God the Father provided it. Jesus paid for it. The Holy Spirit delivers it. You have an inheritance promised to you. Have you received it? I think you'd be interested if you were called to the reading of a will for an inheritance on this earth. The letters in the New Testament describe your inheritance. It's yours by right. Jesus paid for it. All right, now, Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 that we studied weeks ago. And he prays this inheritance into the life of those believers there in Ephesus. So here, this is what he says. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. That's part of your inheritance. That's the first part. Fill you with the knowledge of God's will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. All right, so right here, part of your inheritance is knowledge of God's will. How often have you wished you could know God's will? Knowledge of God's will and wisdom and understanding. And the result of that is so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the intimate knowledge of God. And then he goes on, here's more of your inheritance. Remember, got knowledge, wisdom, understanding. He says, being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. So strength. Do you often need strength to live the life that you know God has called you to live? And then that strength gives us more of that inheritance. Endurance and patience and joy. So right there in those few verses, Paul prays this for the believers in Ephesus. We have access to these by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to provide you with the knowledge of God's will for you, wisdom, understanding. He wants to strengthen you so you can have great endurance, carry on despite hardships, patience, and so you can have joy. Now, I haven't said anything religious yet. We've talked theology, but this is not so you can be more religious. No, this is so you can be a more decent person on earth. You'll see how this goes here in just a moment. Um, during the past week, have you ever faced a, a challenge or a time when you needed more endurance and patience for a trying incident? Maybe at home, 
maybe with your spouse or maybe a child, maybe at work, a coworker, maybe in traffic. I don't know what it is, but you needed endurance and patience that you did not have residing within you. How about if you have joy beyond your own ability to be happy? See, there's not a lot going on in this world to make us happy right now. So we need joy that comes from an independent source, unassailable by the world. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, Paul writes again, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. They were suffering. It was not a COVID-like suffering. They were persecuted by the authorities and people who did not want to believe in Jesus Christ. God provided in Jesus gifts for the church so that individuals in the church would be equipped for ministry. You've heard of the gifts, but I want you to hear about the fruit that comes on much more personal level. In Galatians 5, Paul is writing there to the church in Galatia, and he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, fruit is a result of organic riches that he's got for you. You cultivate fruit. Uh, probably you went over to Payonia or Palisade in the last month and got uh, peaches and pears and apples. And you saw how that on the limbs of those trees, as the farmer carefully cultivated that orchard, first came a blossom and then a fruit began to form. And you pick it and you enjoy the sweet juice of that peach. The first fruit here that we cultivate and the Holy Spirit brings for us is love. Now, this means tasting God's love for you so that you know you are dearly loved, cherished, valued, and secure in that love. Now, here's the description of it we studied in Ephesians a couple of weeks ago. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. There you go. The spirit lives within you in your inner being, your core in your spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Get that, rooted and established in love. Solid, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. This is something we do together. You can do some on your own, but we need each other to grasp how wide, long, high and deep is the love of Christ. In other words, there's this immeasurable ocean of God's love for us in Christ. And it takes us all together to discover and explore and experience. What if we were swimming in that ocean of love all the time and we reacted to this world from that foundation of love? Now, this is a good, good example of how the Holy Spirit working in your inner being gives you love that surpasses your ability to comprehend it. He, uh, he wants you to know that love. In fact, in Romans 5, 5, Paul again writes, hope doesn't disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I, I know this 
is somewhat redundant, but I want you to hear that the Holy Spirit is deep within us, living within our spirit. And by the Spirit, God pours into our hearts love and these other fruit of the Spirit. Do you get that? Knowing that you're loved unconditionally, that you're secure, you can go about loving people better when you have that identity and when you have that kind of security. Now, the next fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's in short supply nowadays. This has not been a happy year. 2020 will not be looked back upon as a great year by anyone. We started with the pandemic, coronavirus, kept us locked in our houses, um, closed in with our families that could have been good or not, uh, watching the TV, getting these reports, wondering when coronavirus was going to strike our community or our family. Um, we have anxiety and pressure. We hear the grisly reports about how coronavirus has caused uh, <clears throat> clots in people and their lungs and is killing off people. I think now it's, it's over 210,000 Americans have died because of coronavirus. And then <clears throat> it ruined the economy. It may have taken your job, trashed your retirement account. So that you face financial challenges and fears. Um, you see, all of this then has caused a great distress and division within our country. Not just ideological, but it's gotten personal. And there's hatred and contempt being expressed. And then uh, demonizing people on the other side. If all that wasn't bad enough, then we, were, we, we saw on television where black people were being killed by law enforcement officers and great racial unrest began to take our country and there were protests that turned to riots and vandalism. And although we may be protected somewhat from that here in our valley, it's out there and it's oppressive kind of a spirit that brings a, an anxiety um, and oppression, unrest, and if that weren't bad enough, hurricanes, wildfires. Us here in the valley, we have memory of airplanes dropping retardants on flames that we could see. Smoke filling the sky and filling our valley. It's like this has not been a happy year. So maybe we need a resource of joy that is above that comes to us and empowers us with joy even in unhappy times. I thank God he's provided a luscious and abundant fruit of joy in our hearts during these trying times. Not dependent on circumstances. It's your inheritance. You have a right to joy Jesus paid for it, and the Holy Spirit delivers it. Now, you may have to fight through uh, uh, distraction in your mind about circumstances or whatever, but it's worth fighting for to have that joy in the midst of all this uncertainty. And then, peace. Um, let me go back. First of all, Joy, I'm, I want to index that in a human experience. What's the most joyful experience you ever had? When were you the happiest? Uh, I think about when being a kid, 
and you're uh, maybe elementary school, and it's Christmas, and it's time to open Christmas presents. And you go through those from aunts and uncles, you know, and then there's that gift from your parents. And it's the one you wanted, and you've been anticipating it. And as you tear the paper off and you see it's exactly what you thought would just complete your world, that joy is a taste, a taste of the joy that God has for us by the Holy Spirit. And then we go to peace. It's the opposite and a contrast to this year of turmoil. And Jesus said, you'll have problems in the world, but my peace I give to you. We know that that peace is delivered in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Jesus paid for it by his sacrifice. It's available to you. It's your right. It is your peace that you can have. Cultivating it. The peace is available as a sweet proof. And, and Paul describes how this peace works, how you access it. Because all of these are to be accessed. It's not like you're just walking along and all of a sudden, bam, you know, here comes some peace flying out of the, uh, from God's heart. No, we access those by our thoughts, by our attention. And in Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in every situation that you would worry about, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests. In other words, present what is it you're worried about. Present it to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. All right. We all know how to worry. We can uh, develop my movies of worst case scenarios projected from present circumstances. That's called worry. But you have to choose to worry, which means you can choose not to. If you take the thing that you're worried about and you, instead of picturing it and seeing disaster, if you simply take that and you raise it up to God and you say, God, I don't think I can handle this situation. And if I didn't have you to trust in that you will be with me here and there and give me wisdom and knowledge and strength and patience and joy to deal with this terrible thing, I would have to worry. But I don't because you're here with me. Thank you. So we make the worry a request to God. And then there's the fruit of patience. Now, this is almost an unfair advantage to have a supernatural ability to be patient in exasperating circumstances. Now, think about an incident recently, maybe at home. Gosh, in COVID, it's like all those things I described a moment ago. Uh, I heard one, uh, one, one man say, in America, uh, typically before, well, let's say last year, 2019, uh, we as Americans were running on about a, a two out of, a, out of a scale of 10 on uh, stress, being stressed. Once COVID hit and the financial fallout and everything else, we're at eight or nine. And at that eight or a nine, when something else piles on, man, we're through the roof with stress and worry. But this patience that God gives us enables us to look at life and react in a calm way. What's an impatient person 
look like? What's it like to be around an impatient person? How does an impatient person express impatience with you? Oh, we know so well. Disapproving looks, irritation, anger, accusing words, attacking you, uh, putting you down, uh, telling you what you should do, agitation, irritability, loud voice. An impatient person is not fun to be around. But impatience, unfortunately, is the go-to for so many people in this world today when they experience a trying circumstance. When you pick that sweet fruit of patience from your garden, you've cultivated it by the Holy Spirit, and you don't eat that fruit. Oh, it's tasty. But you know what you do with the gift, the fruit of patience? You take it from the tree that you've cultivated, the Holy Spirit's given you. You give that fruit of patience ah, to the other person. And what does that look like? It looks like kindness. It feels like acceptance. It feels like grace and space. I'm okay. I'm safe. Isn't it great when people are patient with us? Even when we know perhaps that we have done something that a person could be impatient about? It just stands out. I've tried something recently. Um, I don't know why. On social media. I'll see someone has a birthday or uh, some other event in their life. And instead of just hitting like, I will comment a few sentences. And I will say something kind, encouraging, and uplifting to that person on social media as an expression of kindness. I believe God put that into my heart to do that. And I've gotten all kinds of feedback about how much that means. Rather than just hitting like that kindness can even come across virtually. Now, the next fruit is goodness. We describe some people as good. That's a good guy. That's a good woman. Um, not flashy, but it's a trait. We recognize it, admire, even as someone exhibits it out of human ability. And there are people who can be good out of human ability. But again, we run into the limit of what we've got. And when a person hits that limit without an extension, there begins to be corruption. There begins to be an untrustworthiness. Imagine what you'd be like with an infusion of holy goodness, righteousness, not religious, but spreads, spreads a sweet flavor to everyone. And the next fruit is faithfulness. Faithfulness is not something we necessarily value unless you have been let down, disappointed, or betrayed by someone, and you really would have appreciated if they could have been faithful instead of unfaithful. For you to have the fruit of faithfulness in your life, it carries you through difficulties when you, to stay in the game when otherwise you might just give up. You can maintain loyalty to friends during trying times. You know what it feels like when you have a friend who's remained faithful to you regardless of what's going on over time. Be easier to abandon you. But by the Holy Spirit, you have a fresh load of faithfulness, reliability, perseverance, resilience. All those words are practical and they are backed by and infused by, empowered by the faithfulness God gives you. Self-control. 
Now, everyone has a certain amount of willpower. And you can get so much done by your willpower. But again, there is a, uh, a limit to every person's willpower. Some people have more than others. Some people can hang in there longer, but we all have a limited amount of willpower. And at the end of that, we give in or we give up. And usually something happens that's unpleasant or disastrous. Um, willpower is so important. My friends in recovery, in 12-step recovery, will tell you how strong willpower is. In fact, um, I want to read you the first three steps that uh, these steps are used in recovery of addiction of all kinds of different things to give you an idea of how important it is to understand our willpower is not adequate. First step, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives became unmanageable. <sighs> Can't control it. Second, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I love the wisdom here in these steps. And number three, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as we understand him. Now, that can be a nebulous thing, but we have so many people in recovery coming here to this church, to the orchard, to get a face and a personality so they can understand who God really is. If thousands and millions of people have found sobriety and sanity in their lives, not through their own willpower, but recognizing its deficiency, and they have turned their willpower over to God, trusting in Him, receiving from the Holy Spirit self-control. Wow. How much more can you, as a born-again believer, with the Spirit of Jesus within you, access self-control when you face various kinds of temptation. Now, this is spiritual, but so practical. I want to show you a chart over here. I want to contrast the fruit of the Spirit, your inheritance, with the opposite traits. Now, you may want to do this on a sheet of paper that you may have there in your home. We've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, I didn't have room to write out all the other contrast. I mean, like love, the, well, we're seeing now on a national scale politically that there's hatred, there's contempt, but there could also be apathy. It's not like you're going to be over here hating people if you don't have the gift of the spirit of love, that fruit, but you'll be somewhere in between here. Joy, sadness, depression, despair, peace, anxiety, worry, fear, reacting in ways that are not patient, impatience, irritability, making rash decisions that don't turn out well. Instead of kindness, Harshness, cruel to other people. Instead of goodness, corruption. Instead of faithfulness, undependable, a person you cannot count upon, a betrayer. Instead of self-control, out of control. Now look at that. Which side of the board do you want to live on? As a believer, 
This can be your reality. This can be your profile of life. Wouldn't you want to live exhibiting, expressing these traits rather than those over there? Oh, yeah. In fact, I can tell you the people you're here with today or the people you're at home with today, they would love it if you were to grow and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit and begin to express that in your daily life, in your home, at work, wherever you go, whatever you do. And you know intuitively that you also desire to be around people who are characterized by these things called the fruit of the Spirit instead of the other side of the board. We've looked today into how God provides for his people, those who believe and are born again. It's not just that you believe and then you endure on earth until you go to heaven. Oh no, God's spirit fills between belief and heaven with his love. The resources that you need, power, supernatural power to be able to live a life of joy peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. To be that kind of person. To be a light in this world because I can tell you, if you live by those fruit of the Spirit, people would notice and they'd be blessed and God would be glorified. <laughs>